Welcome to Profits and Loopholes. I'm Nate. I'm here with Paul. Today we're going to be talking about buying and selling a residence. You know, as we talk today, it's important for us to identify that we're just talking about selling a primary personal residence. We're not going to be talking about investment properties and rental properties or a second home or vacation home. We want to spend our time talking about tax code as it relates directly to our primary personal residences and the tax complications and, and implications of buying and selling those properties. So maybe let's, Paul, let's, good to have you here today. Thank let's you. maybe start uh, with buying a house. What, what does a taxpayer need to know about buying a house as it comes to the tax code? Well, buying a house can be quite an endeavor, especially in kind of this post-2009, 2010 real estate uh, debacle where banking, bank lending has kind of tightened their lending practices. It can be quite an ordeal, especially when, they, when you have to provide all that tax source documentation and answers to underwriter questions. But once you get to the point where you're closing on a home, there's a few things that are important to you as a, as a homeowner and to your CPA and for tax preparation. So I want to talk a little bit about those because uh, the, the idea of defining this primary residence, basically our primary residence is, is the place where we sleep at night for more than one half the year. That is designated as our Good primary residence. And it also can be often be tied to like the state of residency for those that might have multiple homes in multiple states. But when we buy a home, we will typically be closing with a title company or some closing agent. And that closing agent will provide us with a settlement statement or closing disclosure that is a, some of them are very large, but there's typically a two or three page document that will summarize the financial aspects of the transaction. Typically showing the purchase price, the date of, of settlement, It'll show you know, the, the amounts of any loans. It'll, it'll show a proration for real estate taxes. And then we'll have a bunch of other closing costs that we typically see, uh, perhaps prepaid interest, mortgage insurance premiums, closing fees, recording fees, uh, home warranty costs might be included on that. So it just kind of is a, a one or two page summary of the entire financial transaction. There are some things on that document that are gonna be particularly of interest to you as a taxpayer and to your CPA. Uh, they typically are items that are deductible on Schedule A of our individual tax returns, which would include mortgage insurance premiums. It would include that prorated real estate tax. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there's no deduction for the cost of purchasing a home. That is something that when we talk about the cost of purchasing a home, we often can make you know, to correlate it to that REPC or that real estate purchase contract. We have a technical term in the tax world and that's called basis. Yeah, that confuses a lot of taxpayers. Basis is really essentially your investment in the home. That's right. right? And Cash it can, in, loans that you took out yeah. to purchase. And it's very critical that we understand basis uh, because in the future at some point, we may consider selling this home. And a home is an asset that is subject to capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. And we'll go into maybe an exception or two about that. But typically, the, the buying and selling of a home can, real, can result in a taxable gain. And that taxable gain is subject to either long or short-term capital gains taxes. Now, I want to talk a little bit about once we buy the home, that purchase price is typically our cost or our starting tax basis. And there are items that we over time spend money on that will increase that basis. 
And so I just want to kind of give you an idea of some of the home improvements that will increase your basis. There's all kinds of additions to bedrooms, bathrooms, decks, garages, porches and patios. You know, any landscaping that you do mm -hmm. post-purchase will increase your basis. Putting in a sprinkling system, um, you know, adding a retaining wall or a swimming pool will increase your basis. Any of the HVAC systems, heating systems, air conditioning, any duct work that you do or any air or water filtration systems will add to your basis. Even, even the acquisition of a security system can add to your basis. Uh, on the exterior, if you replace windows or you add a new roof or new siding, any cost outlay or cash spent, even if you decide that you're gonna borrow money to spend, you know, like in a refinance or you wanna get a home equity line of credit, often called a HELOC, that'll add to the basis. Uh, I've often talked to taxpayers that will add insulation you know, some of the kind of these energy improvement costs that they incur in uh, insulation or redoing pipe work or a septic system, even built-in appliances can add to the basis of the home. And so these kinds of things we want to be aware of because if we decide to move in a year, we can likely incur capital gains tax, but the cost of all these items will reduce the overall gain that we'll realize on a sell. Yeah, so what you're saying is, is we have this initial outlay buying the house, right? And then all these other things that you just mentioned can increase this basis so that if you were to sell the home down the road at a gain, so for more than that basis, it, it's now reducing that gain that we're going to pay tax on. That's correct. So that's why those records are going to be important to get in your CPA's hands and make sure that we're tracking that sort of information. That's true. And I always recommend if a client contacts me and tells me that they're about to purchase a home, I, I inform them, please, please, please send me that purchase document or that settlement statement from the closing, and then I can save it in their tax file. In the permanent file, they'll be able to view it on our mobile app, and there will just be a record there so that someday in the future, whether it's five, seven, 10 years down the road and they decide to sell, we've got a starting point for that basis. So easy, I love that app. But once we bought a home, we're all somewhat familiar and it's probably outside of the scope of this particular podcast with regards to additional deductible expenses. Let's talk about that five-year period where we're now five years down the road and we decide we want to sell and we want to upgrade because maybe we have a few extra kids or maybe the home is just no longer suitable for our needs. So let's talk about selling a home, what that might entail and what some of the tax provisions are. Yeah, the most common one that I think we refer back to is a section of tax code called Section 121. You know, Section 121 allows a taxpayer who's selling, again, just a personal residence, not investment properties, but if you're selling a personal residence, you can qualify to exclude a big chunk of these gains. In fact, per taxpayer, it's $250,000 of gain. So that's over and above that cost basis that we could exclude from a tax return. So we're going to exclude it from this capital gains tax. So if, for example, if I buy a home for $500,000 right. and five years later I sell it for $750,000. If we qualify for this exclusion, the Section 121 exclusion, that gain would not be subject to tax anymore. Okay. So very important to document, but it's important that we meet these qualifications though. What are those qualifications under the Section 121? Well, so it has to be the primary personal residence. So as you mentioned, we have to be sleeping there. That has to be where we live, but really the, the the biggest thing that we're looking for is how long you've lived there. 
So from the time that you sell the home, so that date, if we look back five years, if that was your primary personal residence for at least two of those years, doesn't have to be consecutive, we can qualify for that exclusion. What do you, what do you mean by it doesn't have to be consecutive? So if in year one, after you bought the house, you lived there for say a year and a half, but then you had to travel, you moved out of the state to go to school somewhere else. And so you're away from the home for two years. If you came back and lived in that home again for another six months to another year, as long as it's it's all in that five-year window, we're going to meet that two-year requirement. Okay. And what about if if I'm married? I think the scenario we talked about earlier was for me as a single guy, but right. what, if, what if I'm married? Yeah, that what kind is, of exclu- exclusion is available to yeah, a married couple? That exclusion is per taxpayer. And so a married couple would each, so each the, both the taxpayer and the spouse would each qualify for $250,000 to be excluded. So going back to our example, if we had a $500,000 cost basis or investment in the home, and now we're selling it for a million dollars, you know, if it's a married taxpayer, because they both qualify for a $250,000 exclusion, we're going to be able to exclude that gain. So pretty big deal. We want to be able to capture that and document that on a tax return. That saves a lot of tax really fast. Yeah, I guess at the highest level of that, I mean, you're saving nearly $65,000, $75,000? Yeah, between federal and state taxes. Is there any consequence? Uh, I operate a, a small business out of my home. Mm. Is there any consequences if I'm operating a small business out of my home? Well, sometimes you're using that house as part of a business deduction. We're taking a depreciation deduction. And so when we do sell that, that business portion or that, that deduction that we've been taking, that depreciation, that's probably a podcast for another day. We're going to have to recapture some of that depreciation as, as income on okay. the return. I have seen a lot of my clients that have sold the home and you know, reporting requirements continue to change and there's now a 1099-S mm-hmm. that gets issued. By the title company. Yeah, yep. to, the, to the Internal Revenue Service and to the taxpayer that will help assist in the reporting process. Right. Um, I know that that reporting transaction goes on Schedule D on your individual tax return and that's also the same place where you will identify that you are eligible for that section 121 exclusion. So even if you even if you qualify, there there still is a reporting requirement, is that correct? That is. Yep. Yeah, we want to report that, like you said, on that Schedule D. And and because there there's a lot of different nuances and things, you and I were just talking about a couple of the, the exceptions to this rule where we can qualify for a, a partial exclusion of a section 121. You know, we were talking about things like what were they? You know, well, we've got divorce, you know, if oh, kind of some right. unforeseen yeah. circumstances, like if you divorce and you've got to sell a home in, in kind of a settlement approach to that divorce, or if you change jobs. Particularly with the military, that's one we didn't talk about. The military does have some exclusions there too. True. If you're armed service. Um, the, those exclusions can be kind of beneficial, but if, even if, you, if they force a life event where you have to move, you can still be eligible for a prorated exclusion. Yeah. So it, it is really important that if you do sell a home before you've lived in it for two years in that five-year period, that you have a conversation with uh, your CPA. Yeah, and that's really the big takeaway, right? Is on these types of transactions, it's probably worth a phone call to the CPA. I always tell a client to give me a call before they do the deal, right? Because there's not a lot that we can do or advise or help with after you buy the house or sell the house. 
So getting your CPA involved early on is probably a good idea. Well, so Paul, what else are we missing on this buying and selling of real estate? What else do you have to add for us? I think there's a couple other considerations. I think one thing that is on the minds of taxpayers is, you know, how, how frequently can I get this tax benefit, this exclusion on the gain? Uh, and, and their answer is basically once every two years. So uh, because we have to have that two-year requirement, we can do it as early as two years. I've got some taxpayers that will build their own home, live in it two years, sell it and exclude the gain, and they'll, they'll begin already Smart. building their, their second home uh, while they're living in the first home in kind of this long-term planning approach where every two years they're excluding it. And before long, some clients don't even have a mortgage after they do this four or five times. Um, another consideration that is important is I, I often get this question asked of me of, Paul, can I exclude the gain if I, do I have to roll over the money? Do I have to reinvest it in another home? Common myth. Yep. And the real answer is no, you don't. And, it, and it's an old idea. It's, it's really old, even decades old tax law that is no longer in place but has been replaced with this Section 121. But this idea that we can basically perform a, an exchange of one home for the next and not pay tax, when the reality is that's a provision that only applies to investment property and, and or rental properties that are held for investment that doesn't apply to our primary residences. So no, let's say you decide that you want to sell your home and downsize. So you sell your home for $700,000, You've got a $400,000 built-in gain, and you decide that you want to downsize to a $200,000 square foot or $200,000 home. In that instance, you can exclude that $400,000 gain, and there's no obligation for you to reinvest the difference between the sales price of $700,000 and the subsequent purchase price of $200,000, or essentially that $500,000. You can keep that in the bank or invest it in something else and you'd be totally fine. Great, that's great information to know. I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, while that conversation doesn't cover all the tax aspects of buying and selling home, it gives us a pretty good uh, foundation to know going in and coming out of a home what we need to be aware of. So I, I continue to encourage clients, submit those settlement statements or, or closing disclosures to us help us track your basis for you. If you're making major improvements from year to year, inform your CPA, inform us so we can keep a record of that on file and have accurate basis. Uh, our mobile app, again, allows that for seamless uploading and we get notified so we can add it to your tax file without much discussion. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us next time.